Welcome to our podcast, How Would You Beat? In each episode, we pick a company and talk about how you could use jobs-to-be-done innovation methods to beat that company's product. We'll discuss innovation theory and explain the methods so you can put the theory into practice at your company. I'm Jay Haynes, the founder and CEO of Thrive. That's Thrive without the vowels, THRV.com. We help product marketing and sales teams use jobs to be done innovation methods to build, market, and sell great products. I'm here with my colleague, Jared Ranieri. In this episode, we're going to focus on Facebook. How would you beat Facebook? And specifically, we'll focus on market definition in order to build a product strategy to beat Facebook. So Facebook's market cap today is $540 billion, and over a billion and a half people use Facebook every day. So it seems impossible to beat them. They own four of the top 10 to 20 most used and downloaded mobile apps, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. So it's incredibly tough competition. And Facebook has been in the news recently about allowing lies in their political ads. So if you were a competitor to Facebook, how would you do it? How would you beat Facebook? Yeah, it's a super interesting question. So the obvious answer seems to be to build a competing social network. It's a social network market. If you want to beat Facebook, you have to build a better social network. But there's not a great history of this. Uh, Facebook will have you right in their line of sight, and they'll go straight after you. So early on, they might buy you. Right. They bought WhatsApp super early. They bought Instagram really early and they bought other startups that you might not have ever even heard of, like Hot Potato, Beluga and reaching way back. There was FriendFeed, you might remember. And if they can't buy the company outright, they might copy their killer features. So remember when Foursquare got hot with a location check in, Facebook added that directly to the app to Facebook. And then when Snap got fast growth using stories, Facebook and Instagram copied them. So they have all these resources. And if you say you're building a competing social network, they will put you directly in their line of sight. So how could you possibly do that? What's the, what else could you do? How else would you try to beat them? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, just a little review in jobs to be done innovation theory, specifically about markets. Uh, we'll start with that and see if we can go from there to figure out a better way to beat Facebook than just building a competing social network. So the first question is really, what market is Facebook actually in? The market always wins, of course. So we want to figure out what actually is the market and how are we going to define the market in order to beat Facebook? So jobs theory states that what customers want is not actually your product. What they want is to get a job done. So how you define your job that you're targeting for your company really defines your market. So is there a market for social networks? Well, social networks are a product and a product platform, and they use software in the cloud, obviously, to connect people. Um, and they have some really inherently powerful characteristics because they have network effects. So it's hard to switch when all your friends are on Facebook. But social networks are a product. We should remember that. And what we need to ask is, what are the markets that Facebook's targeting? In other words, what are the markets that people are hiring Facebook? What are the goals, the problems they're trying to solve with Facebook? Because those are really the underlying markets that are not going to change over time. Yeah, so let's let's look at those jobs because I think that's a really – that's the right question. So 
obviously Facebook's helping customers do a lot, um, or at least they attempt to, or at least they try to help customers make progress. So starting with share memories, right? That was one of the earliest things that Facebook helped anybody do. You would go on there, you'd upload a photo with a status update, and even just your, your profile page um, and, and any status update would help share memories. And if you look back, you remember they, they help people upload profile pages um, on college campuses only. In fact, I remember uh, being on college, being in college just before Facebook launched. The only way we could share memories with each other or stay informed about what each other was doing was using uh, AIM away messages. Does anybody remember AIM? Do you remember AIM, Jay? Yeah, AIM was. I think it was like it was like AOL instant messaging, right? It was like a break, a spinoff product. And uh, I'm older than you. I remember CompuServe. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never got to use that. AOL was the first internet product they used. You're lucky. <laughs> so in college, we used to just write in our away message where we were, and you'd go and you'd look at your list of friends uh, in Instant Messenger and see what they were doing. Facebook obviously did that way better. So they helped customers get the job of stay informed done much better than the competing solutions. Um, and at first it was just stay informed of what your friends are doing. But then later as the platform grew, you could stay informed through news outlets that were posting on the platform. And then remember celebrities started posting and public figures. Um, and they, those, that information might help you make decisions that impact your life, right? So for instance, if a political figure is posting on the platform, it might help you figure out who to vote for. So those are some of the jobs, right? You've got, uh, share memories, stay informed with your friends, stay informed of what's going on with celebrities and politics, figure out who to vote for. Although some might say that Facebook doesn't do this well at all. What other jobs do they have? What, what am I missing here? Yeah, that's that's a uh, those are great examples. And one of my favorite examples is uh, from Clay Christensen's book, Competing Against Luck, which people may know is a book about jobs to be done innovation theory. And he says that Facebook is actually competing with a cigarette break. And I love this example because what he's trying to explain is that companies compete with more than just the products that directly look like them. So Facebook isn't only competing with other social networks. Uh, they are, of course. Those are direct competitors. But because people are hiring products to get the job done, there can be lots of different solutions, whether it's products or services or um, even different technologies that emerge that help them get those jobs done. And so this idea that Facebook is competing with a cigarette break is actually a really great one because in that case, the underlying job, why are you taking a cigarette break? Why are you checking Facebook throughout the day is you're really trying to change your mental state. And that's what you're looking for with a cigarette or uh, in some cases checking Facebook is you're looking for some sort of relaxation or you want to de-stress or you want your anxiety to go away, go away. So what you're doing is you're really trying to figure out how to take your current mental or emotional state and change it. And I, I find this really, really great way to think about competition because the competition that's really going to um, displace you or disrupt you is is not going to come from something that looks exactly like you. So if you were going to compete with Facebook, you'd want to look at these jobs. You'd want to scope and identify those jobs in a way that you could understand how people struggle with them. How why do they change? Why do they struggle to change their mental state? And if they are struggling 
then you can find a different solution that might not be a social network because social networks, of course, could be actually not helping you with changing your mental state. You might become more outraged about politics and you might feel more depressed and lonely. So certainly there could be better ways to engage with people just through a social network. And I think what we're going to find out, if you if you look at all the work into how the human brains works and how uh, human emotions work, what are the other solutions that are actually going to make us happier and more productive and less lonely and more engaged and make better decisions at the end of the day? And if social networks are the only way we're ever going to do this, I find that really depressing. But I think there will be real innovation that focuses on those jobs that are not a social network that become a big risk and, and threat to Facebook. Yeah, the depressing, the depressing comment is really strikes home with me because – why why is it depressing that a social network could be the answer to building relationships, creating deeper relationships? Well, the thing that drives me kind of crazy is that they suck up your attention in this way that is, is endemic to the platform and kind of ruins my life, right? Like, yeah. like It's like Facebook's mission in life is to get me to stare at a screen. But that's not going to help me be happier, right? That's not going to help me get relaxed. It's not going to help me cure loneliness. It's not going to help me create deeper relationships. And so we have to ask the question, why are they so obsessed with usage metrics? Why, are the, why is every team gold against uh, time on site, how often people open the application? You know, they're constantly reporting daily active users, monthly active users, how many times people open the app on a regular basis. And the numbers are, are over a billion on almost every single front. So why is that? Yeah, that's great. And in of course, Facebook is in a two-sided market, uh, as most people I think know. They've got the users who are actually the product that they're selling, even though they're helping those users get jobs done. Uh, but they, of course, generate their revenue and their profitability and their entire market cap, their entire value as a company is because they help advertisers sell advertising. So if you were to compete with Facebook, you actually could choose to, to – uh, can meet with them either on either side of this. You could you could go after the users, of course, who have the free product, and you help them change their mental state. You know, make decisions better, stay connected, less loneliness, etc. Uh, but on the advertising side as well, advertisers are of course getting a different job done. That job is to acquire customers. Over time, if advertisers uh, are not actually acquiring customers, they're also they also might be building brands or awareness. But at the end of the day, if you're not acquiring customers profitably you're going to change your advertising or you're going to find a new way to acquire customers. And of course, this is why uh, Google and Facebook have both been very, very successful relative to uh, you know print media or television where you it's really hard to track the metrics to say, I spent a dollar of advertising and I generated you know a dollar fifty in profitability. So uh, if you went after the advertisers as well and found a better way for advertisers to acquire customers, that's where where you could um, you could cause problems for Facebook, and I, I think this is important to think about too because when you're in these two sided markets, there is this an inherent tension, especially in advertising. Now, if you've got buying and selling markets, there's a non zero sum game you're playing because you're trying to get them to actually uh, engage in a transaction. Of course, the zero sum part of that market is negotiating the price. A <laughs> dollar for you is a dollar uh, less for me. But you both want to get to a transaction. But Facebook and these platforms that are these two-sided markets where you've got the free product 
uh, targeting consumers and you've got the advertisers, there's that inherent contradiction. And interestingly, Jaron Lanier, you know, very famous technologist and thinker, um, has proposed that that consumers should own data about themselves. And that's a very interesting concept, of course, because that data about you is very valuable. Advertisers are willing to pay for it. And yet you're not capturing any of that value because – you're sacrificing all that to get a free product from Facebook to stay connected with your friends, share memories, to change your mental state, all these other jobs. And I think that's, that is the way that you would want to approach this market. First, from the user side, can you figure out how to get people to change their mental state better? And then what's the business model underlying that? In other words, is there really something that you can do for the consumers that doesn't cause doesn't require them to hand over every piece of information about themselves in order to sell advertising. Uh, and there may be even subscription models where, you know, people really do want to uh, feel more connected, improve their lives, feel less lonely, and they're willing to pay for that. And they struggle with that. So if you combine that struggle to achieve those goals, to get those jobs done with a willingness to pay, it's an interesting business model. And, you, you know, you could change it on the advertising uh, side as well if you help advertisers acquire customers more effectively than they can on Facebook. Facebook just has the advantage of being so large that it's just an enormous amount of ad inventory they can sell. And that's why they want to keep people coming back and coming back again and again. And their algorithms actually might not be healthy for you as a user because it might not be a healthy thing to be engaged with social networks all day. And yet they have to do it. Um, you can you can kind of see some of this in you know Mark Zuckerberg's testimony to Congress seems insane. Some of the arguments he's making, just as like a fellow human, but he's trapped, right? He's got capital, he's got shareholders, he has to perform, he has to grow. So it's always about getting people to be more engaged, even if that means that the way you're going to get them to be more engaged is to be more outraged and start you know selling lies on your network. Yeah, and I, I think this is much more than an ethical question when you look through the jobs to be done lens because. If people are getting outraged, if people are not owning their own data, if people are just getting all their attention sucked up by the platform, it could very well adversely affect uh, the user's ability to get their own jobs done, right? That tension is a conflict because potentially the better job you do for advertisers in, in terms of taking people's attention, the worse you do for the, for the user, for the consumer, um, who's trying to build deep relationships in real life, who's trying to not be lonely. You know, one of the crazy things about Instagram is that it's this platform where everybody looks like they're having an amazing time, right? You add a filter onto something and suddenly everything looks incredible. And that can give you FOMO. Right. So rather than curing your loneliness, you're looking at Instagram and you're seeing the brands come off so beautifully, the people interacting with those products coming off so beautifully, your friends coming off beautifully, no matter what they're doing. And suddenly you sitting there in your very pedestrian situation feel bad about yourself because your life is nowhere near as good as yeah. this Instagram situation. And so I think we have some vulnerabilities um, that we can attack Facebook on given their revenue model. So if we, I think looking at the subscription model is a fantastic way to go to it. I think the next key question is, which job do you focus on in order to make this work? What is the, the, the job that's going to give you that subscription model that will help you beat Facebook? 
Yeah, and I think that's right. And I think the way you define that job is critically important. I mean, of course, we're using language to describe a market. You know, we're using language to describe the goals or the problems that people are trying to solve. And the vernacular today is jobs to be done. But how you describe that job is really interesting. And I think we've we've seen this again and again with different markets where um, if you took Clay's example of changing your mental state, you know, Facebook competing with a cigarette – if you really look at changing your mental state, those are those are often optimization problems. So you could see attacking this market and saying, okay, well, if we're going to compete with Facebook, we want to target those people that are che- checking Facebook during the day, during while they're at work. And what that would mean probably is that you're looking to optimize someone's mental state for perform- performance at work. So, for example, if you're an engineer and you're working on really complicated problems, you've got to keep a lot of information in your head, you've got to make a lot of important engineering decisions about how you're going to solve complex problems, you really do want to optimize your mental state. And maybe taking a cigarette break is a good way to do it. Uh, it's obviously not a very healthy way to do that over time. Uh, and maybe checking social networks is a good way to do it. Or it could be that social networks are actually degrading your performance. They are not optimizing your mental state because you come back and in your social network, something politically has set you off and you're, you're, you know, feel very triggered and angry and you come back and you, you can't solve the problem in the optimal way. So what do we know about uh, brain science and emotion and how to put people in those optimal mental states and what are the possible solutions? And it's clear when you think about it this way, a social network is only one solution, just like a cigarette is just one solution. And if you were to really figure out um, what the solution needed to do, that's where you would look into the unmet needs in the job of optimizing your mental state. And optimizing your mental state is incredibly complex, like any job. So you could break that down and figure out, okay, where are the unmet needs? And then you could figure out who are the segment of people who really struggle with this job and this set of needs. And it could be, it could be engineers, it could be um, people involved in, you know, management decisions. It could be people who are trying to change careers. Lots of different ways to figure out, you know, who's the most, uh, uh, who's the segment that struggles the most. But in that case, that's how you could approach this market. And, you know, it wouldn't look like you probably wouldn't even go to an investor pitch and say, oh, our competitor is Facebook mm-hmm. because they wouldn't even think of it this way. Right. They wouldn't think of like, well, you're not competing with Facebook. In the same way, you wouldn't walk into someone's, you know, an investor presentation and say, we're competing with the cigarette companies. Right. <laughs> even, even though you actually are, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't line up in that traditional competitor analysis. And that's what's so interesting about jobs theory is it gets you those kind of insights to think differently about your competition and your markets and your customers on met needs. Yeah. And I think one of the really important insights that you made there is that, you know, Facebook, people would say, well, Facebook is for everybody. So if we're going to beat Facebook, we should target everybody. And Facebook's getting a lot of jobs done. So if we're going to beat Facebook, we got to target all those jobs too. And I think what you pointed out is that that that's not a helpful way to look at the problem, right? It gets too broad. Um, it, it, it doesn't give you the creative constraints you need to identify if your solution is going to uh, actually do something better than what Facebook does today. And, I, and you know, this is even true about a product like the iPhone. It, it seems to target a million jobs today, and it uh, is for basically everybody. But when it first launched, it was for consumers who were trying to communicate uh, over the internet. They were, you know, with email and web browsing, talk on the phone, 
and create a mood of music. It targeted three jobs very specifically. Um, and it wasn't until later when they launched the App Store that they created this engine where they could get many, many jobs done. And so this idea that you target something more specific, get a toehold, and grow your platform over time to target more jobs and more customers, I think is a really, really important idea. And in our next episode, we're actually going to talk about um, how you choose that customer, right? What is the right customer target? Um, and, and how do you make that choice to, to grow uh, from where you are today? Yeah, I, I think that's that's super important because if you define your competitive market and your competitors based on a product, and and even worse, if you define it based on your competitors' products, you're almost always going to fail. And you know, the Zune is a great example of this. Microsoft, you know, of course, thought there was a big market for iPods, so they spent hundreds and hundreds. They lost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars trying to create an iPod competitor. But of course, that's not the market. The market is to create a mood with music, which is you know the customer's job to be done. And this is even true of Google. You know, these huge successful companies with hundreds of millions, billions of customers that they can target, and they failed again and again and again, and they always fail. It's always lethal when you're defining your market by your competitors' products. So when Google tried to launch a social network, I mean, it was, you know, obviously a giant failure, just just like the Zune. So every time you do this, when you're defining your market through the lens of your competitor's product or your product, rather than the point of view of your customer and you know, the job they're trying to get done, the problem they're trying to solve, the, you know, the goal they're trying to achieve, it's really, really, really unlikely to be successful. Yeah, I put you in this feature catch-up situation uh, rather than leading the innovation, then you just watch your competitor go farther and farther away from you. It's really, it's a horrible place to be in. Yeah, I always, I, I always love that feature feature comparison. When I, I worked, at, you know, at Microsoft as a product manager in the late '90s in the Windows group, and half my job was literally tracking the competitors' features. And this is back in the day. Remember, Windows used to ship in a box that would be in a store, so that we could list on the back, and we would just show we had more features than our competitors. So we we must be better when, of course, like your customers don't care about your features. They don't want more features. They want to get their job done. They want your product to get the job done for them. So they're not looking for more and more and more and more features. And of course, my favorite example of this is Pandora. There are no features. It didn't have podcasting features. You know, it didn't have sync with your playlist. All it had was push a button and create a mood with music. Um, yeah. You can even see this in in uh, Spotify now. Spotify literally has categories called moods, and you can pick a mood, and it's automatically generating m- music for that mood. You don't have to search around a store and create your own playlist. You just you know push play, and it'll it'll create music for the mood, and it's pretty good at it. It's fast and you know relatively accurate. Yeah, totally. And I would definitely use an application where I could tap a button and cure my loneliness. Uh, it, it like super fast rather than stare at Facebook waiting for the next notification something interesting to come and that yeah that sounds like a much better life for me where tap one button no more loneliness yeah yeah that's great well we'll explore a lot more of these questions in other episodes we'll look at uh, how do you define customers you know what are customer needs how do you know how big the market opportunity is how do you survey customers how do you get quantitative data and figure out if this segment's underserved etc so I think in, in short um, just to wrap this up here, if you were to try and beat Facebook, the first incredibly important step is defining the market from the point of view of the customers you're targeting. In other words, what jobs are they trying to get done? Thanks for listening to our How Would You Beat podcast. Visit us at thrive.com. 
that's THRV.com, to get our free how-to guides and try our Jobs To Be Done software for free.